Glory be to the Father, sings the church, and the Son, and to the Holy Ghost. What is this, we ask? Praise to three gods? No, praise to one God in three persons, as the hymn puts it, Jehovah, Father, Son, excuse me, Father, Spirit, Son, mysterious Godhead three in one. This is the God whom Christians worship, the triune Jehovah. The heart of Christian faith in God is the revealed mystery of the Trinity. Trinitas is a Latin word meaning threeness. Christianity rests on the doctrine of the Trinitas, the threeness, and the tripersonality of God. It is often assumed that the doctrine of the Trinity, just because it is mysterious, is a piece of theological lumber that we can get on very happily without. Our practice certainly seems to reflect this assumption. The prayer book of the Church of England prescribes 13 occasions each year when the Athanasian Creed, the classic statement of this doctrine, should be recited in public worship. But it is rare today to find it even uh, to uh, to find it used on even one of these. The average Anglican clergyman never preaches on the Trinity except perhaps on Trinity Sunday. The average non-liturgical minister who does not observe Trinity Sunday never preaches on it at all. One wonders what the Apostle John would say were he here to comment on our practice. For according to him, the doctrine of the Trinity is an essential part of the Christian gospel. In the opening sentences, sentences of his gospel, as we saw in our last chapter, John introduces to us the mystery of two distinct persons within the unity of the Godhead. This is the deep end of theology, no doubt. But God throws, excuse me, but John throws us straight into it. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word was a person in fellowship with God, and the Word was himself personally and eternally divine. He was, as John proceeds to tell us, the only Son of the Father. John sets this mystery of one God and two persons at the head of his gospel because he knows that nobody can make head or tail of the words and works of Jesus of Nazareth till he has grasped the fact that this Jesus is in truth God the Son. But this is not all that John means us to learn about the plurality of persons in the Godhead. For in his account of our Lord's last talk to his disciples, he reports how the Savior, having explained what he was going to prepare a place for him in his father's house, went on to promise them the gift of another comforter. And of course, this other comforter is uh, the Holy Spirit. Um, so this is uh, Knowing God by G.I. Packer. Um, I read from this last week and I gave a copy uh, of this last week. Um, I had uh, some interest from several of you about this book, so I decided to bring it back and, uh, and give, it, give it away again. I was going to give it to uh, Mike Nicholson, but he's not here, so I can give it to him later this evening. Um, but if somebody else would like his copy of, well, this book, um, you can have it. All right, Rebecca, here we go. Here we go. Yes. Um, so I, I want to, I guess, take a, take a second to use the opportunity of the microphone. Um, uh, Dr. Nicholson's class, uh, his men's Bible study on the book of Revelation has been a huge blessing to me. Um, so anyway, I just feel led to just throw it out there. If there's any guys here that have been thinking about going to that Bible study and haven't done so, I strongly encourage you to do so. Um, it's, uh, it's really, really good. Um, and then uh, just another um, um, announcement um, that I've kind of just thrown out there. So um, you guys know about our work with uh, Refuge International. So that's our work that we do with refugees here in, here in Louisville. Uh, so we're actually being paired up with another family. Um, the, uh, the father is from Congo. Uh, the mother is from Mexico. And they have one son. And uh, uh, the father is really nice. His name is uh, Innocent. And uh, that's all that I know about this family. So I haven't gotten to meet them yet. Um, but anyway, this is who we're being paired up with. We do have um, 
um, a group of uh, people in the welcome team. Um, but because this hasn't quite started yet, um, you know, you're still welcome to join. If there's somebody here that wants to be part of that, that team, uh, you can see myself or Nick afterwards um, if that's something that's of interest to you. All right, well, um, a warm welcome to you all. Um, this is the fourth week of the Fall Formation offering. Uh, good news is for sharing an introduction to um, evangelism. Um, so um, like we do every week, let's go ahead and review what we talked about last week, and then we'll do our uh, time of prayer um, as, as we do every week. So um, normally I ask you guys questions about it, but I feel like... Uh, um, maybe I wasn't communicating well enough last week or we were all a little bit tired. So um, I'm going to go ahead and briefly summarize what I, um, what I went over last week. So uh, last week we were talking about the fear of man and how we can overcome the fear of man in evangelism. So, um, so the first point, uh, we overcome the fear of man by having a proper perspective of the fear of God. So we overcome the fear of man by having a proper perspective of the fear of God. Um, so the fear of God is not that of dread or woe. Uh, rather, the fear of God inspire us, uh, impro- inspires us excuse me, uh, to reverence and worship of God in our hearts. Um, and we, when we have this reverence in our hearts for God, it helps us put things into perspective. Um, the opinions of others become small and insignificant uh, when we contrast that when we think of what God thinks of us. And because of Christ, God looks at us as holy, uh, righteous, and pure. And again, it's not because of what we have done, but it's because of what Christ has done for us. Uh, Point number two from last week, we overcome the fear of man by reminding ourselves of our union with Christ. So what what I mean by this is the benefits that we receive from the gospel. Um, So we have died to ourselves. We have been united to Christ, and his Holy Spirit is given to us. Um, And we rest on the fact that God is for us. So a summary of verse, uh, summary verse of what I'm trying to say here is Romans 8.31. It's a verse that you guys all are all familiar with. Um, it's God, if God is for us, who can be against us? Uh, point number three, we overcome the fear of man uh, by having a right perspective of time. Um, so there are two aspects here, one positive, one negative. Um, so negatively, we understand that our time is short. So we, we're only here on this earth for a short period of time, and we don't know when we're going to die. Um, Mike Nicholson said last week that it was quite uh, depressing, and, and it's true. It might be depressing, but it's, it's nonetheless true. Um, our time is short, so let's uh, use it to our advantage. Um, the author of the book of Hebrews says, It is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes the judgment. So in compassion uh, and in the power of the Holy Spirit, um, let's push back against our fear of man, and let's uh, reach others for Christ. Let's share the gospel. Um, And then positively, looking at time positively, instead of viewing time as short here in our lives, viewing time in terms of eternity. Um, So as we uh, seek to share the gospel with others, let's uh, let's look to the future and uh, and let's uh, imagine the people that we're sharing Christ with. Let's uh, let's pray for their salvation and and uh, and have this future joy of being able to spend eternity with them um, should they come to come to know uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so that's a quick summary of what we discussed last week. Any questions? Does that make sense? Does that make sense? Okay. Any questions, comments? We can have a short discussion here if anybody has anything. Awkward silence? No? Okay, great. Um, Okay, so let's go ahead and uh, we'll break out into our small groups. So again, if this is your first time here, just rotate your chair, minding social distancing. Um, and uh, we're going to take five minutes to pray. So um, uh, we're praying specifically for the three people that I've asked you guys to be praying for. So this is uh, somebody who um, 
who you want to share the gospel with or somebody that you have been sharing the gospel with. So um, I'm going to encourage you guys to, uh, I mean, of course, you guys can talk during this time, but uh, since we only have five minutes, I'm going to encourage you guys to just jump straight into prayer. Um, you can have one person pray for the whole group, or you can do popcorn style. Everybody just prays um, as they're led. So I'll go ahead and start rotating chairs, and let's take five minutes. All right, now let's all pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you um, so much for this time together. We thank you uh, for the privilege of being your ambassadors, uh, being ambassadors for Christ. Um, Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to, uh, to be used by you um, to share the gospel with others. Um, Lord, we, when we look back um, to our own conversion experience, Lord, we're humbled um, at the fact that you um, so mercifully pursued us and, uh, and you were relentless in your love for us. Um, Lord, we thank you for your mercy and your love and we pray that um, as you send us out into this world to share the gospel with others that you would uh, give us your love and um, help us Lord to, to reach others with compassion and um, we pray Father that you would be with us through the power of your Holy Spirit uh, because with uh, without you we can do nothing so Lord fill us with your Holy Spirit we pray that um, that we would decrease and that you would increase in Jesus name Amen Okay Great um, so, if you were to ask me who my favorite or who my greatest hero of the faith would be, um, I'd probably say Charles Wesley. Um, so both he and uh, uh, John Wesley uh, were both brothers, um, and it's through them that the Lord used um, to cause a great revival in England during the 18th century. Um, so they were both Anglicans, and uh, their followers later formed into what we now know as the Methodist Church. And as a side note, I'm, I'm not a church historian, but... Um, from, from the little that I know, um, uh, the, the Wesley brothers made it very clear that they weren't trying to start a denomination, they weren't trying to start a new church. Uh, they were just trying to start a, a movement within Anglicanism. So uh, anyways, I'm, I'm certain that uh, if uh, they could see the Methodist Church today, they, uh, they might not be too pleased, but uh, that's beside the point. Um, so anyways, going back to Charles Wesley, um, so he's undoubtedly the greatest hymn writer in all of church history. So he's um, said to average uh, 10 poetic lines per day for 50 years. It's crazy. Um, and he also wrote 8,989 hymns during his lifetime. It's insane. Um, so anyway, we all know his greatest hits. Uh, Heart the herald angels sing, and can it be? Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing. Christ the Lord is risen today. Rejoice, the Lord is king. Um, I get made fun of uh, at Ashley's parents' house because I'm always wanting to, uh, when we have a hymn night or something like that, everybody's picking out hymns, and uh, um, I'm always in the back trying to, trying to sing uh, um, Charles Wesley. Um, so anyway, I love Charles Wesley. Um, so anyway, uh, you guys all know these hymns. Um, I'm, I'm sure you do. Um, and uh, if you don't recognize the title, I'm sure if you heard the, the song, you would, you would recognize it immediately. But um, I'd, I'd be willing to bet that none of you have heard of this hymn before. It's called O Horrible Decree. Um, show of hands, has anybody heard of this hymn before? O Horrible Decree. All right, no. Um, okay, so the horrible decree, which Charles uh, writes about in this hymn, um, is against his understanding of predestination. It's 15 stanzas long, um, so I'm not going to read the whole thing, but here's an excerpt, so this is three. Okay, so bear with me, just three stanzas. Sinners abhor the fiend, his other gospel here. The God of truth did not intend the thing his words declare. He offers grace to all, which most cannot embrace. Mocked with an ineffectual call and insufficient grace. 
The righteous God consigned them over to their doom and sent the Savior and mankind to damn them from the womb, to damn for falling short of what they could not do, for not believing the report of that which was not true. The God of love passed by the most of those that fell, ordained poor reprobates to die and forced them into hell. He did not do the deed, some have more mildly raved. He did not damn them, but decreed they never should be saved. So if you're following along with me, um, Charles and John Wesley were obviously Arminians. Um, So I'll I'll merely describe that here as someone who views um, God's election um, and predestination in terms of foreknowledge. So in other words, God doesn't actively bring somebody to faith in Christ. Uh, He stands back. Uh, Election is viewed more in foreknowledge. So God from eternity past looks forward into the future and he sees who uh, who it is that will uh, in their free will come to faith in Christ. So um, so from his standpoint, um, a high view of God's sovereignty and salvation, uh, he calls the horrible decree. Um, So there are two themes in this hymn. First is that the doctrine of election and predestination comes from the pit of hell. Um, So he attributes the doctrine to Satan, and at one point he directly calls it satanic sophistry. The second theme in this hymn is that it portrays Christians who hold to a higher view of God's sovereignty and salvation as being cold, heartless, and not evangelistic. I'll quote him again. Um, Of these Christians, uh, he says that they, quote, deny their fellow worms a share in God's redeeming grace. Um, So if you've been a Christian for very long, I'm sure you've uh, been part of or heard of this debate before. Um, And again, I'm I'm sure you guys um, have already heard this before, but the common refrain against a high view of God's sovereignty and salvation um, is that it hinders evangelism. It hinders evangelism and uh, and the compassion for the lost. And as much as I love and respect Charles Wesley, Wesley, um, I think he fundamentally misunderstands a high view of God's sovereignty and salvation, uh, which could otherwise be known as Calvinism, Monergism, doctrines of grace, etc. If God is ultimately in control of salvation, Christians won't feel the need to evangelize. Um, if God is in control of who comes to faith in Christ or not, um, there is no point to evangelism or missions. So this is the common refrain that's repeated against a high view of God's sovereignty and salvation. Um, and so, and that, by the way, when I when I say a high view of God's sovereignty and in uh, salvation, I, I prefer to use that over terms of Calvinism and uh, uh, the doctrines of grace, etc. But um, so anyway, the basic premise um, of what I want to communicate today is this: that a high view of the sovereignty of God in salvation it fuels, it doesn't hinder evangelism; it fuels evangelism. Um, and again, I want, to be, I want to be very clear uh, that I'm not here to try to convince you guys of one side or the other. Uh, like the beginning of some movies and documentaries, um, I want to state the, the beliefs stated therein uh, reflect my own and not of Grace Anglican Church. And so your belief in what the Bible uh, means by election and predestination is not a requirement for membership uh, here at Grace Anglican Church. So you can completely disagree with, uh, with what I'm going to say today. Uh, and we'll still love one another. We'll still be brothers in Christ and sisters in Christ. Um, so, so before I jump into uh, my premise that a high view of God's sovereignty and salvation fuels evangelism, um, I want to quickly go over God's plan of salvation. So this is going to take a good chunk of our time. And at the very end, we'll talk about how this high view of God's sovereignty and salvation actually fuels evangelism. So everybody with me so far? Great. All right. Um, 
And then uh, fair warning, I'm going to pepper you with a lot of verses, um, and, which I kind of tend to do if you guys haven't figured that out already. So uh, we won't be spending a whole lot of time on, on any one of these verses. So um, if this is something that interests you, I'd encourage you to write down the Bible reference, and then you can go and study it yourself uh, or talk to me about it later afterwards. Okay, so uh, number one, salvation is a gift from God to the spiritually dead. So again, salvation is a gift from God to the spiritually dead. So in Ephesians 2, we learn that our state prior to receiving the gift of salvation was that of death. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together in Christ. By grace you have been saved. And this salvation is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no man may boast. So salvation occurs when God takes a spiritually dead person with no ability to perceive, understand, or love God and gives them the gift of eternal life. That God gives live, excuse me, that God gives life um, to the spiritually dead isn't uh, just Pauline theology. So we see this going all the way back um, to the Old Testament. And until this morning, I hadn't planned on reading uh, this um, passage, passage of Scripture. But go ahead and take out your cell phones. I'm assuming uh, uh, most of you guys have, have your Bibles on your cell phones now. Um, and we're going to go to Ezekiel 37. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them. And behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley. And behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, prophesy over these bones. Say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. I will lay my sinews upon you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a sound and behold, a rattling and the bones came together bone to its bone. And I looked and behold, there were sinews on them and flesh had come upon them and skin had covered them. but There was no breath in them. And he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. And he said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Therefore, therefore prophesy. And say to them, thus says the Lord God, behold, I will open your graves and raise you up from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you up from your graves, O my people. And I will put my spirit within you and you shall live and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken. I will do it, declares the Lord. So this is Ezekiel 37. Uh, again, I we don't have time to go deep into this passage, but I'll leave you with this. When we read the Old Testament, we read it in light of the New Testament. Uh, and we know that the promises of God uh, that he made to Israel apply to us. And uh, Paul even says uh, uh, somewhere in his epistles, he said he calls the church the Israel of God. 
Um, so this, this isn't so much, well, it is a passage about ancient Israel, but clearly it also applies to us today. So this is God taking dead people and making them alive. And we are this, this army of God who are uh, raised again to new life. Um, amen. So moving forward, we learn uh, from our Lord in John chapter 3, verse 3, that un- unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Um, so we know this verse. We've said it many times, but consider what it means to be born again. Uh, to be born uh, means that you had no decision in your existing, um, into your coming into this world, um, into who your parents would be, into what country you'd be born into, um, in what kind of family environment you'd be raised in. Um, everything that you have is a gift, and you are utterly dependent upon your parents uh, to nurture you and to raise you. And so it is with our salvation. So while we were sprinting towards hell, um, God in his mercy decided to save us. He made us born again. Uh, We have a new life. We have died to Christ and we're also new creatures in Christ. And uh, just as much as you don't have control um, over your first birth um, and and we're given life from God and from your parents. um, So also in this rebirth, in this new birth that we receive in Christ. Um, it's a gift. It's a gift from our Heavenly Father. Salvation is all of God from first to last, from first to last, from faith to faith. Um, none of us would dare to assert that we had any credit to play in God's salvation over us. Uh, we give all the credit to God. And we know this is true from the scriptures and also from the Holy Spirit bearing testimony within our hearts. Uh, so the nature of something being a gift is that it's free. Um, it's something that's undeserved and it comes with no springs attached Um, So we don't have to work to receive a gift and we don't have to pay a price for the gift after we receive it because otherwise it wouldn't be a gift. Uh, The nature of God's salvation being a gift points back to the fact that God demands all the glory of salvation for himself. Um, This is something that he rightly has a holy jealousy for. And we read this in Ezekiel 37. He, He says, then you shall know that I did this. I did this. I did this. This is God's refrain, uh, not only in Ezekiel 37, but throughout all of scripture. So, yes, the Bible calls us to repentance and faith in Christ. Uh, but these, repentance and faith, these aren't works, uh, right? If these were works, uh, then we would be working alongside God to achieve our salvation. But um, the gospel is not about you plus Jesus. Uh, it's all about Jesus. And every ounce of repentance, every ounce of faith that you have, Christian, is a gift. It's a gift from God. Point number two, salvation comes from the will of God. So point number one, what we just talked about. Uh, let me find it. Excuse me. Uh, salvation is a gift from God to the, spiritually, to the spiritually dead. And now the second point, salvation comes from the will of God. Um, so a couple of weeks ago, uh, we discussed that one of the hindrances to evangelism is that of the spiritual forces of evil. So not only does the Bible describe mankind as being um, blind and undiscerning, it describes unbelievers as spiritually dead. Again, we just read this in Ephesians 2 and Ezekiel 37. Uh, We learn from Scripture that the Holy Spirit's work in the life of a believer precedes repentance and faith. And like the Apostle Paul, the Lord um, has to take the scales from our eyes uh, in order for us to behold the Lord in his beauty. Without this first work of God in our hearts... We can't understand the gospel. We are spiritually uh, discerned. Without the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ remains to us the stumbling block. 
Um, in John chapter 1, verses 12 to 13, uh, we learn that the will to become children of God comes not from us, but from God. Again, this is a popular verse. I'm sure you guys know it. Uh, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. Wh- whose will was that? Who's God's? He gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of the will, of, excuse me, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And I think it's hard for us to fully grasp this verse because we live in such a very individualistic uh, Western culture. Um, as Americans, we want to make decisions for ourselves. Uh, we want to call the shots and be the captain of our souls. Uh, but the force of what this verse is saying is that if you're a Christian, um, you're a Christian because God mercifully willed for you to be a Christian. You were born not of blood. So thankfully, I'm going to break down each of these uh, uh, phrases here in this verse. So um, you were born not of blood. So thankfully, God's plan of salvation has extended uh, to the Gentiles. So non-Jews like you and me, I'm assuming none of us are Jewish. I'm sorry if, if there are any uh, Jewish descendants here. Um, So God is in the business of saving people from every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. Salvation does not come from your ancestry. Um, Even if you were born into a Christian household, um, the gift of God you've received is just that. It's a gift. It's not because of your blood descendants. So neither is it the will of the flesh. That is, you, you don't just decide to become a Christian without God first moving in you. First uh, John chapter four, verse 19 doesn't say that we love because we decided to love God. Rather, we love God because he first loved us. Amen. It's the awareness of God's love for us in Christ that first starts as a seed and it blossoms into new life. And this blossoming into new life turns into an affection for God. Uh, so neither is it the will of man. So simply put, uh, no person can make this decision for us. So salvation doesn't come through the person we marry, um, the kind of government that we live under. Um, We all know the oppressiveness of uh, uh, countries like communist China, uh, Iran, uh, and their hostility towards Christians. Um, Yet by God's grace, there are so many coming to faith in Christ in these countries. Um, So no dictator, no oppressive government can thwart God's plan of salvation. It's not from the will of man. But salvation not being from the will of man doesn't just mean that some other person can will for us to become a Christian. Even deeper than that, um, it also means that we cannot choose to come to faith in Christ without him first giving us that faith. So Paul says in Romans 9, uh, for God says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. So again, scripture is clear. Salvation does not depend on human will or exertion, but on God's mercy. Um, In John chapter 16, verse 7 through 8, we learn that the Holy Spirit convicts sinners of sin. So nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he, the Holy Spirit, comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. So this verse is relevant to our discussion uh, because of the Holy Spirit's active role in the plan of salvation. The Holy Spirit, um, again, convicts of sin, righteousness, and judgment. The Trinity, 
Father, Son, Holy Spirit is actively engaged and working and present in your salvation. So God the Father decreed the plan of salvation and chose you before the foundation of the world. We learn this in Ephesians 2, Romans 9. So that was God the Father. God the Son achieved your salvation by living a sinless life, dying on the cross for your sins and rising again from the dead on the third day. You can read the Gospels. And now the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. He brings about a heart of flesh. He opens our eyes and our ears um, of us, spiritually dead people. And he inspires within us the repentance and faith that we need to love God. So praise God. Um, so I, this is all some background into what I'm wanting to say next. Um, and what I'm about to say next is where I'm going to take this theology and apply it to what we're talking about, which is evangelism. So uh, before I get into that, any questions on anything that I just said? Again, I know that was a shotgun approach to, to it and tons of verses. Yes, sir. What was the John verse you just said uh, yes, sir. Uh, John chapter 16, verses 7 through 8. Yes, sir. Yeah. He will convict the world concerning, concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. Those were Jesus' words. Anything else? Does everybody follow me? Does that all make sense? Yes? Okay, great. Um, okay, so um, if... If you don't take anything from, from today's lecture, um, again, what I was trying to say previously just now is what I'm, it, it's all building a foundation for what I'm about to say. So again, I'm taking theology and applying it to what we're talking about here, what this class is about, which is evangelism. So here's the main premise. Here's what I want you to take away. So a high view of God's sovereignty and salvation empowers us with boldness, with faith, and with patience. So again, I'll say that again. A high view of God's sovereignty in salvation empowers us with boldness, with faith, and with patience. So again, a high view of God's sovereignty fuels, doesn't hinder evangelism. So let me break each of those down. So a high view of God's sovereignty in salvation empowers us with boldness. Um, so because we know that salvation depends on God, we don't have to share the gospel in fear of how well you share the gospel. Um, so if you believe that someone's salvation depends on how well you're able to present um, the gospel message, you're really running an uphill battle. Um, when you share the gospel with somebody and, and, uh, and, and the decision for that person to come to faith in Christ is dependent on how well you're able to share the gospel, um, man, that's tough, right? And so there is freedom in knowing that the heavy lifting is not done by you. It's done by God. Um, he is the one who saves. He's the one who convicts, as we just read about uh, in, in uh, the Gospel of John. Um, and it's merely your job to speak, however imperfectly, however ineloquently. Um, I remember um, sharing the gospel with my mom after I had become a Christian. Um, she wasn't a Christian, and I was scared uh, that I might do or say something that would hinder her from coming to faith in Christ. Um, but ultimately, I trusted in the fact that salvation was God's job. And, uh, and I, again, merely had to share the gospel. Um, and I didn't do it perfectly. I was a brand new Christian. I, I would probably shudder if, if I had recorded that conversation. And, and I would look back at it now, I'd probably shudder at all of the theological inconsistency, inconsistencies that I may have said back then. 
Uh, I didn't do it eloquently, I'm sure, um, but I did share the gospel, and she believed. And praise God, she's walking with the Lord, even today. Number two, a high view of God's sovereignty and salvation empowers us with faith. So we know that God is the God of the impossible. Um, If God was able to save huge sinners um, like you and me, he can certainly save whomever we're sharing the gospel with. Uh, And thinking of the Apostle Paul, I mean, he was the the chief of sinners. Um, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. These were Paul's words. He was persecuting Christians, dragging them into jail and um, trying to get them killed. I mean, he was there at Stephen's persecution when he was stoned to death. Um, If God was able to save, heart like Paul's, man, God can save anybody, right? So even if we're talking with someone who, humanly speaking, we imagine would never come to faith in Christ, again, we know that God can save anyone. Um, I remember um, sharing the gospel with somebody I served in the Navy with. Um, So this was a really rough guy. um, He was a rough guy. I'll just leave it at that. Um, He he cussed more than any other person in the squadron. Uh, He made fun of God. Uh, He had uh, satanic tattoos written on his arms. And I remember thinking to myself, and I'm, I'm not trying to be dramatic here. I, like, I literally thought this to myself. I said, there is no way this man will ever come to faith in Christ. Um, but by God's grace, I did share the gospel. <laughs> and by God's grace, he believed. And um, yeah, again, a, a high view of God allows us to share the gospel uh, boldly and with faith. Uh, knowing that the work is God's to do, it's not ours. Uh, Point number three, a high view of God's sovereignty and salvation empowers us with patience. So because unbelievers are spiritually spiritually blind, excuse me, I'm going to drink a bit of water. Because unbelievers are spiritually blind, it shouldn't surprise us when our evangelism falls on deaf ears and uh, when we're ridiculed for having believed in Christ. So we, we look back at the scene of Ezekiel 37, um, the valley of dry bones, and we look to the promise of God that he will redeem dead people. This is his job. This is what he does. And a conversion experience, it can be immediate, uh, but I would argue most of the time it isn't. Um, The longer I'm a Christian, the more I'm convinced that my own salvation occurred over several years. I, when I when I first became a Christian, I would um, I would say that I came to faith in Christ in the middle of a sermon, and I heard the gospel, and it was at that moment in the middle of the sermon that I repented of my sins and believed in Christ. And that's true. Um, I don't deny that, but the whole conversion experience, I would argue, and at least in my life, took place over several years. Um, There were Christians around me, and I hated them at times. I despised them. I saw um, life in them that I didn't have. Um, uh, Nick, what's the verse? I think it's in 2 Corinthians um, where it talks about being a a fragrant offering um, and um, um, being a a pleasing aroma to others, being a pleasing aroma of Christ. 
you know the verse. I also think it's in Second. Yeah, so I think it's in Second Corinthians. I uh, I didn't think about that verse until now, so I didn't write it down. But, but yeah, it it, um, it talks. The Apostle Paul talks about us being um, being an aroma, and uh, talks about uh, when we're in the midst of spiritually dead people, they're able to see and smell Christ within us. Thank you. Second Corinthians 2.15? Thank you. Thank you, Ann. Um, so anyway, there were Christians around me, and, uh, and again, I, I hated them at times, um, but they would share the gospel with me. And it was God uh, working in my heart, planting that seed, nourishing it, watering it through his Holy Spirit, and at the right time, he saved me. And until my eyes were opened... And I was able to behold Christ crucified on the cross for my sins. Uh, that whole thing, again, took, I think, several years. Um, so what am I saying here? To the Christians around me, these people that were sharing the gospel with me, uh, they probably didn't have, uh, they probably didn't see any effect that their words were having in my life. Uh, but that's not how God works. Uh, when we share the gospel with others, um, sometimes the words that we speak aren't, uh, don't take place immediately. Um, oftentimes they take place over time, sometimes years afterwards. And um, it's, not, uh, it's not uncommon. I, I, again, I didn't think about this until now. I'm just kind of going off of memory here. But um, I've, heard of, I've heard of stories where people have come to faith in Christ because of a conversation that they had with a friend or a loved one years ago. And... Um, Anyway, so even if you're sharing uh, the gospel with someone over and over again, month after month, year after year, uh, and again, this comes to mind because uh, Thanksgiving is upon us, right? It's, um, it's fall, and before, before long, we're going to be having um, uh, Thanksgiving dinner with our family and friends who um, some of them may not know Christ. So anyway, as we share the gospel with these people year after year, uh, behind their eyes, you have no idea um, what that person is thinking. Uh, with their mouths, they may say that they don't believe and that you're full of crap and, um, and they don't want to hear it. But, uh, but again, you don't know what they're thinking. That could just be a facade. And, uh, and you certainly don't know what God is doing in that person's heart. So even um, in their last moments here on earth, uh, they might recall those words of yours and place their faith in Christ. So that'd be an encouragement to you guys. Again, if you guys didn't take anything away from the first part of the lecture, that's fine. The main thing that I want to, come to, to make sure that I communicate here is that a high view of God's sovereignty and salvation empowers us with boldness, with faith, and with patience. And that's all I've got today. Any questions? It's hard to tell sometimes with the masks if you guys are bored, if you guys are like <laughs> falling asleep on me. Um, but I really would love to have some discussion here. I think if Robbie Brown was here, he would already be peppering me with like five questions. And, um, you know, Mike Nicholson, he always has some good things to say. Yes, Rob. Um, I, heard, um, I heard a lecture from Mark Dever um, several years ago about how um, God's sovereignty, uh, a high view of God's sovereignty helps uh, um, salvation. I don't remember exactly what he said. Um, I didn't go back and listen to it. Um, I, I just kind of came up with that myself, but I, I, I may have 
without knowing, maybe copied some of what he said. I, I don't know. Yeah. I'm going to hold you guys hostage for one minute so or two minutes. Let's have a discussion. Is this not helpful to you guys? I mean, if it is, uh, share something, please. I'd like to share a little story that kind of... Yeah, I can think of um, yeah similar instances where, yeah, same like you, I would read the Bible while I was in the military and people would ridicule me and then... Uh, uh, I'm thinking of a couple people after, like, as I was checking out of the squadron, as I was leaving uh, the military, uh, I had a conversation with a couple people that uh, they had just mentioned to me how, how much, yeah, that, that had spoken to them to some degree. So, um, yeah. My gospel presentation, again, it's God, man, Christ, response, right? Um, Oh, yes. Okay, so thank you. Yeah, so Miguel asked... Um, two minutes, one or two minutes. One or two minutes. All right, so this will be the last one. Excellent question. This is the kind of questions that I want, okay? So, um, so, uh, so, so Miguel, uh, Miguel asked, what, how do you respond to somebody when you're sharing the gospel with them and they say, well, if, uh, if I am an elect of God, if I am chosen, then I will respond. And um, so my response to Miguel is, well, um, my gospel presentation wouldn't wouldn't, um, uh, you know, I wouldn't be telling him, like, you know, you may be an elect, you may not be an elect. I mean, I'm not sharing that, right? So from, from, from the beginning of this class, uh, again, when we're sharing the gospel, it's God, man, Christ, response. So this is what we're sharing, God, man, Christ, response. And the response is merely, um, uh, this is the salvation that I repented and believed in, and the Bible calls you to also turn away from your sins and believe in Christ. And if you do this dear friend, you can receive eternal life. You can have peace with God. You can know God. Um, and how are you going to respond to that? So it's that gentle, you know, um, one beggar telling another beggar where to get bread. So again, I'm not, I'm not bringing up this, uh, um, you know, God's sovereignty and salvation, election and, you know, predestination. I'm not bringing this up when I'm sharing the gospel. Um, you're emphatically shaking your head. No, is that right, Rebecca? Of course. Absolutely. Yeah. So Rebecca was saying, I mean, you can you can really confuse somebody that you're trying to share the gospel with by bringing these things up. And I would absolutely agree with that. I wouldn't bring this up unless they unless they brought it up themselves. Of course, I would try to answer their questions. But um, uh, let me leave you with this verse. Whoever believes in the son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the son or observe the son shall not see life. The wrath of God remains on him. Um, the, uh, the scriptures uh, talk about Christ dying for the world and, um, and it's clear that it's not uh, Nick mentioned this in a sermon earlier I just remember that he said um, you might have to help me remember exactly what you said Nick but you said it's not uh, you know many are called but few are chosen how do you know if I'm chosen well uh, believe it if you believe it if you accept it by faith if, we, if you turn away from your sins and believe in Christ praise God you're saved. You're elect. And then rest in that fact because God is keeping you in himself. It's not your work. It's God's. Amen. All right. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you that you are here among us. We thank you that, uh, uh, that we can uh, have this opportunity to think about evangelism and uh, in your uh, work in our lives and in the lives of unbelievers around us. Lord, give us this faith. Give us this boldness. Give us this patience. Help us, Lord, to trust in your work and not ours, and help us, Lord, to be vessels of your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen.